Gracious be to our loving Father that we are gathered once again, that like what we said at the beginning, we're going to look at the question, does the Bible teach the pre-existence of Christ, which is what is believed by many who profess to be Christians. Now, this is the question that was actually sent to us. Let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, it is, it was in Tagalog, but we'll translate it later in English. Tinatanong ko lang po kung sino ang karunungan at verbo ng Diyos na nakasulat sa lumang at bagong tipan sa Kawikaan, Lucas, Mateo, Unang Korinto, Juan, at sa Apokalipsis. Dahil sa Pasugo, which is God's Message Magazine from the Iglesia ni Cristo, ay nakasulat na ang dapat sampalatayanan walang Kristo sa kalagayan sa pasimula kundi salita na binala. Pero walang batayang verses sa Biblia. Dahil hindi ba ipinakilala ni Yahushua sa kanila kung sino siya. Mateo 11:27. So to trans translate it in English, it goes something like this. I just want to ask who is the wisdom and word of God written in the Old and New Testament in Proverbs, Luke, Matthew, 1 Corinthians, John, and Revelation. Because in the Pasugo, God's magazine of God's message magazine of the INC or Revelation Christo, it is written that Christ did not yet exist and was still only a plan of God to be fulfilled. But there is no basis from the Bible. Because did not Yahushua reveal, he, uh, reveal who he is uh, to them, according to Matthew 11, verse 27. So looking at the statement at the bottom, uh, because did not Yahushua reveal who he is to them, according to Matthew 11, 27, I'm trying to understand the basis of the question um, the way I see it is the purpose of that question is because Yahusha is the one who reveals who God is, then if Abraham, Moses, and the like in the Old Testament were able to know who God is, then it proves that Yahusha must have been in the beginning, or he must have existed in the Old Testament, or had a pre-existence. That's the question that seems to be coming from what he wrote here. And so let's take a look at Matthew 11, verse 27. My father has entrusted everything to me. Not No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son, and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So according to Matthew 11, 27, you cannot know the father unless the son, who is Yahushua, chooses to reveal him to you. And so if Moses got to know God, if Noah got to know God, if the prophets got to know God, therefore it simply means that Yahushua was there behind the scenes who introduced them to, to know Yahuwah, our father. However, that is not what is written in Matthew eleven twenty seven. Yes, Moses and Aaron and Joseph and Abraham and the Old Testament characters, yes, they were able to know God. However, it doesn't mean that Yahushua was the one who taught them about God. Because in the Old Testament, how was God revealed? It was God himself who was there. And so when Yahushua in the New Testament uh, arrives to the scene, when Yahushua was born and he began to preach the gospel and he began to teach people about Yahuwah Abba. 
he was able to introduce God in a different way. What way? The book of Corinthians 3, 11, 16, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Yahushua. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. So during the Christian era, those who are built upon Yahushua as the foundation receive from Yahushua the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit is God's spirit. And so during the Christian era, by virtue of Yahushua, who is now the mediator between God and man, we are able to have access in an intimate way, the presence of Yahuwah. The presence of God is in us. God's spirit is in us. This was not really possible in the Old Testament because Yahusha was not yet born. This is why because of the ministry of Yahusha HaMashiach, when he tore the most the, uh, tent that divides the holy place from the most holy place, we now have access to the Father in an intimate way through the power of our King, Yahusha HaMashiach. This is why Yahusha said in Matthew eleven twenty seven. We are able to know the Father because previously he was not really known as the Father. But because of our union with the Son, we are able to call Yahuwah God as our Father to show that we have this deep, intimate relationship with Yahuwah now as, the father, as our Father because God's Spirit lives in us through Yahusha. And so Matthew eleven twenty seven does not teach us that Yahusha existed in the Old Testament. That would be a far stretch. That's a stretch of the imagination. And this is not a proof text to teach that whatsoever. But when we go back to the question, because in the Pasugo, which is God's message magazine of the Iglesia Cristo, it is written that Christ did not yet exist and was still only a plan to be fulfilled. But according to the one who asked the question, there's no basis from the Bible. So it's something we have to put to the test, right? Like in all things we do in this program, we test it using the holy words of God. So the Bible, does the Bible teach the pre-existence of Christ? For many who believe in the pre-existence of Christ, they often cite the word of God, which is found in the book of John. Do you still remember that passage about the word of God found in John? Because this is their chief Proof text. This is what they used to prove that Yahushua had a pre-existence. Let's read the book of John 1, 1 and 14, and let's test it to see whether or not it teaches that Yahushua had a pre-existence. John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that's what's written in John 1, 1 and 14. I'm sure many of you are quite familiar with this passage in John 1, 1 and 14. And so how do people who adhere to the belief that Yahushua had a pre-existence use this passage? They say that Yahushua was in the beginning. And then he became flesh 
or this is what they call the incarnation. And so he, before he became a human being, he existed as God in the beginning or some kind of existence in the beginning. So he had a pre-existence in the beginning before he became man. And so they say throughout the Old Testament, there are appearances of Yahushua, appearances of the Son of God, but there, that is nowhere to be seen in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, John 1, 1, 14 is actually proof that Yahushua did not have a pre-existence. Why? Well, there are certain observations we need to make. And these are critical observations we need to make concerning John 1, 1 and 14. What are they? First of all, if you look at John 1, 1 and 14, it says, in the beginning was the word. When you read the entire passage, what do you notice that's missing? That's kind of weird. What do you notice that's missing? What is missing in the passage? What does it say? And what does it, what does it not say? What it says, what it says is in the beginning was the word, right? But what it does not say what is in the beginning was the Christ. You notice that? It doesn't say in the beginning was Christ. It says in the beginning was the word. As a matter of fact, you do not find Christ, the term Christ, in John 1, 1 and 14. What do you find? What you find is the term word. So in the beginning was not the Christ. In the beginning was the word, not the Christ. That's observation number one. What also should we observe concerning John 1, 1 and 14? It says the word became flesh. It does not, it does not say Christ became flesh, right? What became flesh was the word, not the Christ. And so if what became flesh was the word and not the Christ, this tells us that Yahushua could not have had a pre existence because if the passage tells us in the beginning was the Christ and the Christ became flesh that's proof that Yahushua had a pre-existence but that's not what the text says the text says in the beginning was the word not Christ and the word not Christ is what became flesh and so we need to now understand the meaning of the term word what is the Greek word used which is translated in English as word. According to the Blue Letter Bible, it is the word logos. And what is the meaning of logos? It is something said, also a type of reasoning. So in the beginning, what was in God's mind, this is why the logos was with him or is in him, is he had a plan, he had an idea, a concept that he will carry out throughout the Christian era. This is why in the Ryrie Study Bible, he defines logos as the following. It means word, thought, concept, and the expression thereof. And so the term word refers to the plan or concept or purpose of Yahuwah concerning the coming of the Christ. The term word does not mean the actual Christ himself, but the plan of God concerning Christ. We find this in the New Encyclopedia as well. Logos in Greek means word, reason, or plan. And according to David Cape, a noted Bible scholar, when we look at pre-existence and how it's used in the New Testament, 
and according to its development, according to this article, the pre-existent state may be described in two ways, as ideal, meaning it's in the, it exists in the mind or plan of God, or actual existence alongside and distinct from God. And so in this case, because it mentions in John 1, 1, the word and not Christ, but the term word, what does this tell us? It tells us the pre-existence of Christ is in the mind of God. And so Christ pre-existed not as a being, but as a plan of God concerning the coming of the Christ. This is why it became flesh. The word became flesh. The plan was fulfilled and the fulfillment was Christ who is a human being. And so that's what it means that the word became flesh. And so the word, the logos in John 1, 1, is actually proof that Yahusha did not have a pre-existence because if he did, then John should have written in the beginning was the Christ. But he did not do that. He wrote down in the beginning was the Logos. And what's the purpose of the Logos? When God created in the beginning, what was his purpose? Colossians 1.16. For by him, for by Yahushua, the Logos, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And so when Yahuwah created all things, who was in his mind? The Mashiach, the Christ, because he is the Logos that was created in the beginning. And so everything was created around the plan of Yahuwah concerning the coming of the Christ. But Christ did not yet exist in the beginning. It's like this. For example, we have husband and wife. They're newlyweds. They buy a new house. And then they plan to add a room. They don't have a child yet, but they have a plan to have a child. And so they prepare the room for the child. They put new carpets, new fresh paint. They put new light fixtures. They put nice wallpaper. They put furniture. They put new toys. And so the room is being prepared for their child but the child is not yet there. It doesn't exist yet. It's only a plan. And so the room was created for the child. And so in the same way, when Yahuwah was creating, he had in his mind who? Yahusha. This is why he's called the Logos. Because all creation will be for Yahusha. It is through him and for him that all things were Created. And so when Yahushua was finally born, when the Logos is being fulfilled and he arrived being born of a woman, what is his purpose? Colossians 1.20, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This is why he is the Logos that was conceived in the mind of God in the beginning because God knew even before he created Adam and Eve that they're going to commit sin. And so he already had in his mind the Logos. Yahushua would redeem all creation and all creation will be subject to Yahushua the Christ. So the word of God or the Logos in the New Testament refers to the plan and purpose in the mind of God 
about the Christ who will reconcile all creation to God. And so when we look at uh, the word of God in John 1, 1, it proves that Yahusha did not have a pre-existence. However, there there's another text that many people like to use, which they say proves that Yahusha existed in the beginning, and that's found in Proverbs. In Proverbs 8, 22, 26, Yahuwah created me, first of all, the first of his works long ago. I was made in the very beginning at the first before the world began. I was born before the oceans when there were no springs of water. I was born before the mountains, before the hills were set in place, before God made the earth and its fields or even the first handful of soil. So the Bible teaches in the book of Proverbs 8, 22, 26, it mentions that Yahuwah created me first of all. And so there are those who are suggesting Yahushua was the first one created. And so Yahushua created him, Yahuwah created Yahushua at the first before the world began. He was born before the mountains. What else um, did Yahuwah do using Yahushua? In Proverbs 8, let's continue 27 to 30, 31. I was there when he set the sky in place, when he stretched the horizon across the ocean, when he placed the clouds in the sky, when he opened the springs of the ocean and ordered the waters of the sea to rise no further than he said. I was there when he laid the earth's foundations. I was beside him like an architect. I was his daily source of joy, always happy in his presence, happy with the world and pleased with the human race. And so when you read this passage, it does make it sound as though Yahusha was with Yahuwah at creation, doesn't it? Because it mentions, I was there when he set the sky in place. I was there when he laid the earth's foundations. I was his daily source of joy. So who is this I who is speaking here? Is it Yahushua? It's actually not Yahushua. Why? What is the proof? Well, who is the one speaking in Proverbs 8? Proverbs 8, verse 1, does not wisdom call out, does not understanding raise her voice. And so according to scriptures, who is the one who is referred to by the pronoun I, who was with God at the beginning when God created the universe. It's not Yahushua, but wisdom, right? And maybe this wisdom is Yahushua. Cannot be, because the Bible says, does not understanding raise her voice? Yahushua is being described as a she, because when you look at the when you look at wisdom in the Blue Letter Bible, it's the Hebrew word 2451, uh, which, as you can see, is a feminine noun. And we know Yahushua is not described as a feminine noun. And so wisdom is the one speaking, but it doesn't mean wisdom is an actual being or an actual person. You see, Proverbs 8 is using what is called a figure of speech called personification, right? That's what it's using. Proverbs 8 uses personification. What is a personification? It is the attribution 
of a personal nature or human characteristics is something non-human or the representation of an abstract quality in human form. It's like, remember, when Yahuwah God spoke to Cain and he told Cain, the, the blood of your brother is crying out. Does it mean that the blood is actually literally crying out? No, it's the same thing in Proverbs 8. The Bible is using what is called personification. What do we need to understand when we read the biblical text? We need to first identify the genre because the Bible is composed of many books which has different writing styles, different genres. For example, there's history, there's prophecy, right? There's also poetry, Proverbs 8. What is the genre of Proverbs 8? Proverbs 8 is actually poetry. And so it's describing the virtues of wisdom in artistic ways. It's poetry. When you read poetry, it's different when you read poet, you, you read poetry differently from the way you read narrative, right? So you read the Genesis accounts narrative, you read the Exodus accounts narrative, but when you go to Proverbs, it's not narrative. It is artistic. It uses personification. So it's telling us in a poem cast in poetry, the virtues of wisdom because the writer or the author is convincing us that we need to apply wisdom in our life. And how important is wisdom? Bible says, I was there when he set the sky in place. I was there when he laid the earth's foundations. I was his daily source of joy. In other words, wisdom was used by Yahuwah in creation. This is why when we study creation, what do we notice? Romans 1, 19 to 20, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. This is why in a sense, we can read the book of nature and be convinced of the existence of Yahuwah Elohim. Why? Because if we study nature, when we look at creation, what do we find? We find not haphazard uh, principles and laws, but orderly laws with mathematical precision. You notice that? I mean, philosophers have often wondered why are there physical laws in the first place? And these physical laws operate in such a manner that allow for life to exist. Where do you think that wisdom came from? Not by chance. It was purposely designed. And so when we look and study creation, we find the wisdom of God because God used wisdom. This is why there's an orderliness to the universe. Yahuwah used wisdom when he created the heavens and the earth. And so the wisdom in Proverbs the one who was with God at creation is wisdom, not Yahushua, but wisdom used as personification, okay? And let's go look at the next one. Well, who is the wisdom in Luke? Let's go ahead and read the book of Luke uh, 49, 51. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. Okay, who's the one speaking here? Yahushua is speaking here, okay? Yahushua is speaking 
And if you read uh, Luke 11 before 49, it's completely Yahusha. He's the one speaking. And he's, spoken, he's speaking about the woes of the Pharisees. And so he goes to verse 49, and then he says something kind of, something that catches your attention. All of a sudden, he says, therefore, the wisdom of God also said. And so the Bible mentions the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God speaking, right? And the wisdom of God says, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. Who is that wisdom of God speaking? That's Yahushua. Yahushua is the logos, the wisdom of God for our salvation. And so Yahushua, when he was speaking in verse 49, he is speaking on behalf, or he's speaking as the wisdom of God. And there's a reason why he's doing that. What is that reason? You notice what Yahushua said? I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute. Why did Yahushua say that? Let's keep reading. That the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. And so when Yahushua was speaking, and he said, therefore, the wisdom of God also said, and then he says, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute. Why did Yahushua say that? Because he is emphasizing the irony of the error of the Pharisees. The Pharisees boasted about what? How they know the prophets. They boasted about how they know the wisdom of Moses. They Boasted about how they know the scriptures, but they don't realize the one speaking to them is the true wisdom of God. And the Pharisees, instead of arriving at the conclusion that Yahusha is the wisdom of God, what do they do instead? Let's keep reading 52. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And so Yahushua, when he was speaking to the Pharisees who were boasting about the wisdom, that they had knowledge of scriptures, Yahushua said, the wisdom of God is telling you that you're going to be held responsible for this generation because this generation is going to reject Mashiach, who is the wisdom of God. And so the irony is these people, the Pharisees, who are boasting of the wisdom of God, they themselves do not enter the wisdom of God. Who is that? Yahushua. Not only do they not enter into Yahushua, the wisdom of God, they prevent people from entering into Yahushua. And so Yahushua said, you're going to be held responsible for their blood. And so Yahushua said he is the wisdom of God to teach them that they who are boasting of their wisdom actually hindered others and themselves from receiving the true wisdom of God, which is who? Our king and loving Mashiach, Yahushua. Now, why is Yahushua the wisdom of God? John 5, 39 to 40. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And so that's the irony here. These people are studying the Bible, right? I mean, the Pharisees, 
they studied the Holy Bible. I mean, if we can fault the Pharisees, it will be they're being judgmental, right? But they did study the Bible. But the irony of it, the irony of it is because they were so full of themselves, they could not, they could not see that the scriptures was about who? Yahushua. The wisdom of the scriptures is about Yahushua. When the living Torah was standing right in front of them, they could not see it. And so Yahushua said, you do not enter me. You do not enter the true wisdom. And you prevent others from entering the true wisdom. And so it's really a, a pattern that we see even playing today, right? There are people who boast. Well, everything we do, everything we teach is from the Bible. But they prevent people from entering into Yahushua, right? They prevent people from really understanding the wisdom of Yahushua. And so we need to really bring people to Yahushua, not to the religious leaders. And so they were stuck. The, pe the Jewish people were stuck with placing their focus on the rabbis instead of the rabbi. And so we must not make the same mistake. We need to make sure our teaching brings people not to the teacher here on earth, but to Yahushua himself. Okay. So the, the wisdom mentioned in John uh, that we just in Matthew that we read is none other than Yahushua, who is the embodiment of the Torah or the scriptures itself. Let's go back to the question. Well, who is the wisdom found in Matthew? Let's read Matthew eleven nineteen. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. And so wisdom is being described as having children. What does that mean? Let's read Matthew eleven nineteen. 19, a different translation. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and the friend of tax collectors and other sinners, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. And so when it says uh, wisdom has children, it simply is telling us that wisdom will be proven or justified by right results. It doesn't teach anything whatsoever. I don't see it in Matthew 11 that Yahushua Having, has a pre-existence. Okay, well, who is the wisdom in 1 Corinthians? Let's read 1 Corinthians 1.24. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so we have no uh, disagreement with the teaching that Yahushua is the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. But it doesn't mean that Yahushua was with God in the beginning when he created all things. Because the wisdom in Proverbs 8 is different from this wisdom. What is this wisdom of God who is the Christ? If you can look at the passage, it is the power and wisdom of God for what? For salvation. Okay. And so Yahushua, the Christ, is the power of God, the wisdom of God for salvation. And what is this wisdom and power of God for salvation? Let's read Corinthians 2, 6 and 8. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they had, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So 
when we speak of the wisdom um, for salvation, who is Christ, what is that? It is the wisdom of God ordained before the ages. Because back in the Garden of Eden, Yahuwah made a promise, right? What is that promise? The promised seed of the woman. It is the Mashiach who will restore all things. And this promise was preached by the prophets beginning with Samuel. And so it was proclaimed in the garden, promised in the garden, proclaimed and preached by the prophets. And when John the Baptist came to the scene, that's when Yahusha arrives. And so people did not believe him, but the wisdom of God, the power of God for salvation is Yahusha the Christ. And so Yahusha was foreordained in the beginning. In other words, he was planned for and he was preached before he came, but it was fulfilled when he came and began to preach the gospel. Well, who is the wisdom in Revelation? Let's read Revelation 19, 13 and 16. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. And so we are in Revelation, which is the last book of the Holy Bible. And here, Yahushua is being described as the word of God. Is there any um, discrepancy there? Absolutely not. He is the word of God. He's the plan of God. And so why is he being described here as the word of God? Because in Revelation 19, Yahushua is about to complete the final phase of the Logos, the plan of God for salvation. Remember, who is the Logos? Yahushua. The plan and purpose of God for all creation is through Yahushua. And in Revelation 19, he's going to complete that plan. Remember, the plan, which is called the Logos, comes in two phases. But what is the completion of that plan? How will it look like when it's completed? In Ephesians 1, 9 to 11, God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan, which is the Logos, regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And so the Logos, when was the Logos conceived of again? In the beginning before creation yahuwah god had a plan it's a mysterious plan and this plan involves who christ this is why the logos is about christ and what does the end look like when this plan is fulfilled the bible says at the right time everything will be under the authority of christ everything in heaven and on earth right now are we there yet not yet but we're headed there, right? But we're not yet there because the final phase of Yahuwah's plan is not yet fulfilled. The word of God, the logos of God is a plan, a master plan of God that comes in two phases. It's called the first advent and the second advent. This is why when you read the prophets, it will speak of two major events. Everything that the prophets spoke about is about the first advent and 
the second advent. As a matter of fact, the prophets spoke more about the second advent than the first advent. We know the first advent was fulfilled. What was the first advent? He was born, right? During the first advent, he preached the gospel. He performed miracles and wonders. He died. He resurrected. He ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And so that's all part of the first advent. Where is Yahushua now? In heaven. And so what phase are we waiting for that will happen soon? The second advent. And so what will happen on the second advent? He will bring his faithful followers into the clouds with him and take them to glory. Right? Some people call it the rapture. And then he will return to earth. He will establish the millennial kingdom of God. There will be final judgment. And then the new heavens and the new earth. All of that is for the second advent. First advent, second advent. Both advents are included in the final master plan of Yahuwah Abba, the word of God. This is why in Revelation 19, 13 and 16, he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. Why is he being called in Revelation 19, the word of God? Because he's about to complete the second advent. Because when we keep reading the passage in 14, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Remember the plan that we found in Ephesians. All authority in heaven and on earth will be placed under Yahushua. It's about to come to fruition. The word of God will be fulfilled in full. Through who? Yahushua. This is why he is the word of God. But it doesn't mean that he had a pre-existence. It simply means he was planned before creation. But the fulfillment of the plan did not start to begin or did not come to fulfillment until Yahushua was born, the first advent, right? And then he died, he resurrected, went back to heaven. And then the second advent to complete this plan of Yahuwah Abba. And so what we see here, brothers and sisters, is that the Logos was prophesied and then he will become, it will be fulfilled. Prophecy becomes history. And one day, we're going to be ruling with our king, Yahushua. It's not yet today. We're waiting for that. It's going to come soon. But because of the plan of God, and we see it unfolding, we can be excited. We can anticipate with great joy that Yahushua is going to return soon to complete the final phase of Yahuwah's plan concerning his son, Yahushua HaMashiach, the word or logos of God. That is our lesson for today. Let us stand and we shall pray. Almighty and merciful Father, thank you, Yahuwah Alahim, for the blessings that you have given to us, an understanding of your plan. We are so fortunate that you have included us to participate in the unfolding of your purpose, that many more people can receive salvation. 
Please, Father, bless us with more faith. Teach us to have patience so that we can share with our fellow men the gospel message that will lead to salvation. Mm -hmm. Yahusha, our loving Mashiach, may you please be by our side. We want to be with you. We cannot wait for your return. Mm -hmm. We anticipate with joy your appearance in the sky so that we can be together with you forevermore. Mm -hmm. Father, please bless our loved ones. Bless our families as well. May you help us to be one with you and with your son yes. as we prepare for the great day of our salvation. Mm -hmm. Please forgive all our sins. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Mm -hmm. Amen.